Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today brings us to John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live you also will live, and in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know 
that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. So as we start our text, Jesus encourages, and he'll do it later in the chapter as well, that the disciples let not their hearts be troubled. The second time he'll say afraid as well in verse 27. So he's just talked about going somewhere that they cannot follow. So why? Well, obviously that would be troublesome. They've been following him for three years. Why can't we follow you anymore? Well, he's going to the Father. He's going to return to heaven. And this is one you can ask your children the question, right? So where is Jesus going? And when Thomas says, well, how can we know the way? Ask your children, what is the way? How do we get to where Jesus is? So let them talk about paradise. Let them talk about the Father and his throne room. Let them talk about Jesus and preparing that place for us. And then let them talk about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That it is only through him, it is by his grace, it is by his love, it is by his forgiveness that we are saved, that we are rescued, that we are redeemed. See how well your kids can speak those words. Give them the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to you. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. This is a marriage custom within their culture at the time. It's not one that we really have, so it's something that's easy to miss for us. But the picture for them was that the groom would prepare the house and that when he was ready, he would go and he would take his bride and he would bring her to himself, to the home. Um, so... They're married, and they live together for the rest of their lives. This is the picture Christ is giving to us, to his church, that he is the groom, we are the bride. He must depart from this place, which is neither of our homes. It's not his home, it's not ours. And he's going to prepare that home, the new home, for the bride and groom. He's going to prepare it for us. And when he's finished, he's going to come back. He's going to take us to be with him there where he is. It's a great marriage illustration for them at the time. And I think we can pick up on it readily enough. So again, Thomas says, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And this results in Jesus' seventh I am statement in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, like a road or a path. If you wanted to get to the store, what what way would you take to get there? If you wanted to get to school, what way would you take to get there? That might be a, a way to illustrate this to your children. Jesus is the way to paradise. There is no other. It's not like you can take a detour or an alternate route. Um, it's only one way. It's through Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. Unfortunately, many of our progressive uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we can still call them that, if they haven't gone too far, many of them have stopped believing this, even this word of Jesus. I've heard so-called pastors proclaim from this verse that if you read that the way we do, that Jesus is the only way, that's a really sad 
belief to have. And so they're, they're pushing for universalism, even within churches that used to claim to be Christian. The idea that all roads lead to heaven. This is not true. It's just not. It's a complete rejection of what Jesus said. And they can't see it because they do not know him. That's my concern. Um, we see it more and more as many are drifting away. That he is the truth. This is in contrast to John 8 where he said that the devil is the father of all lies. Jesus is the father of truth. God is the father of truth. And he gives us what is true. I mean, he's God. If, if he speaks and says, let there be light, there's light. Whatever he speaks, it is. His word is truth. He's also the life. And this is a very profound New Testament idea that apart from Christ, there is no life. There are m- multiple spots, including, for example, the end of Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats, uh, the talk of the resurrection, that everybody's raised, but the righteous are raised to life, while the wicked are raised to judgment. They're both raised, body and soul reunited from the grave, but there's only life for one of them, because only one of them have Christ. Now he says that they know the Father and have seen the Father. And this is getting back to chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. One of those statements that made the Pharisees so upset with him. Philip then asks to see the Father. Show us the Father, that's enough. He wants to see God, and that's fair. Right, We want to see our creator. We want to know our creator. But Jesus' response, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's a Trinity thing. One God, three persons, but still only one God. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. How does this work? I don't know that I can say it for you fully. Um, Again, the Trinity is beyond our grasp, beyond our understanding, but that's very much what's going on here in this passage. That they can see the Father because they have seen Jesus. The Father is in Jesus and he is in the Father. It's one and the same. And yet two persons. And even the works and the words Jesus has been doing and saying, they're not his own, but because the Father is in him and the Father is working through him. Verse 12 then, Jesus says, whoever believes in him will do the works that he does. And greater works than even what we saw Jesus do. The apostles indeed will get to work many miracles in their time. Peter even just has people trying to touch his garments, something you see with Jesus, just hoping his shadow would fall on them. You've got Paul surviving a a poisonous snake bite. This one's not in the Bible, but the tradition is that John, the only apostle not to be martyred, was cast into a vat of boiling oil to execute him. But the Lord spared him. He escaped it alive. And so recognizing that they could not kill him, they exiled him to Patmos for years. greater works than 
some of the miracles that Jesus has done, although Jesus' miracles are, it's God in the flesh. He's doing amazing things, but he's giving his apostles the ability to also do some amazing things because he is in them. Verse 13 and 14 cause confusion. Whatever you ask in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it so that the Son may be glorified, the Father glorified. So why is it that we ask and we don't receive? And James handles this one. So this is James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And we covered this uh, recently, the idea that our our prayers should be aligned with the will of God. Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy will be done. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane will pray for the Father's will to be done. And so it is for us. Like This is our prayer, that God's will be done. And so we ask things in Jesus' name, not because we want stuff, not because we want a better house or not because we want a fancier car. We ask things in Jesus' name for the sake of his kingdom. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is what Jesus has given us to do. And most recently, chapter 13 yesterday, that we would love one another as he has first loved us. Then Jesus says he's going to ask the Father to send the helper to us, that is the Holy Spirit, who would come into this world on the day of Pentecost. The world cannot receive the Spirit, but we will. He will be in us, the Spirit dwelling in us, as the New Testament certainly talks about. Now, he's going to come back to that idea here briefly, but first, verse 18, he's not going to leave us as orphans. He will return. So we're not abandoned by him, but for a little while we won't see him. The world won't see him. This is a both and. You could initially look at verse 19 as the ascension. Jesus ascends into heaven, and the world can't see him anymore. But it's more than that. It's the last day. It's the resurrection on the last day when we are brought before Christ, and because he lives, we live forevermore. On that day, we will know he's in the Father, we're in him, he's in us, because we'll be all together in paradise. And will be loved by God, and God will make himself known, manifest to us. Now, the other Judas amongst the disciples, not Iscariot, not the betrayer who's gone at this point, he's left. He asks the question, it seems like a fair question, how can you reveal yourself to just us and not to the world? Now, part of this question is what they expect the Messiah to do. They still expect a military king, a champion, the Old Testament judges, a deliverer to fight against the rulers of this world and to establish the great kingdom of Israel. It's a wrongful expectation, but it's still their expectation. And so how can Jesus make his kingdom known to them and not to the world? How could his kingdom remain a secret to the world? That is where, in part, Jesus tells Pilate in John chapter 18, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus doesn't answer his question that way. Jesus answers his question simply by repeating what he's already said. Essentially, he's revealing himself to us by faith. 
His kingdom's not of this world. It's not about military prowess. It's about salvation. So he can reveal himself to you and me because we have faith, but not have revealed himself to the world because they don't. So we're saved and they're not. It's a picture Philip and Judas don't yet understand. We go to the last paragraph. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. A question for your children. When did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? And then you can follow it up. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? For the disciples, this is Pentecost. And it's like that light bulb moment, that eureka moment where everything just comes together. There have been multiple times here in John's Gospel that he has mentioned that the disciples don't know anything yet, uh, that they don't perceive yet, but when things happen, they'll recognize it. So with the triumphal entry, they they saw it, they witnessed it, but it's not until after Pentecost that they put it all together. Here, Jesus himself will say he's told them before it takes place so that when it does, they'll believe when it all comes together. And it really, truly is that much of a shift for them at Pentecost when all of a sudden they go from being terrified and locking themselves in a home to going out into the streets and proclaiming Christ whenever and wherever they can. Night and day difference. Again, he encourages them. He gives them his peace, a peace that the world cannot give because the world cannot bring you to God. The world cannot reconcile you with the Father. The world cannot give you salvation, but Jesus can. So you have his peace. You're no longer at war. You're no longer a rebel against God. He does mention that if they loved him, they would have rejoiced when he said he was going away because he's going to the Father, and the Father is greater. I mean, Jesus says it right there. The Father is greater than I. There is a hierarchy even within the Trinity. I know, again, mind-boggling, baffling. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks this way, that the Father is going to subject to Jesus all things with the exception of that the, whom, the one whom subjected all things to him. So everything's under Jesus except for the Father. Trinity, one God, three persons, mind blown. It's about all we can say. We take God at his word. The Father's greater. And so why would they love him? Why would they have rejoiced if he were leaving? Because we want what's best for the ones that we love. So if you love Jesus, you want what's best for Jesus, and what's best for him is to be at his Father's side. And eventually, yes, take us to be with him there. I will no longer talk much with you. And this is true. And there's only a couple of days left while he's still here yet. Well, not even. There's less than 24 hours left of him being alive um, before his crucifixion, death, and burial. So, yeah, there's not many words left at this point. The ruler of the world comes. That's a reference to the enemy, to the devil, who comes being led, leading Judas and the temple guard to arrest Jesus. I do as the Father has commanded me. He has no claim on me. The devil has no victory over Christ. Jesus goes to the cross willingly. The devil thinks he's doing it. The devil thinks he's winning. But it is the devil's death blow against God that actually gets turned on his own head 
Genesis 3.15 style, uh, that the serpent would bite him, but he would crush his heel. The serpent thinks he's won, the devil thinks he's won, but truly that becomes his very own destruction. As all the power the devil has is to hold our sins over us. And that power is wiped away. He can no longer accuse you because Christ has forgiven you. So rise, let us go from here. They head to the garden.